Numbers 13. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send men, that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a prince among them. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the commandment of Yahweh. All of them were men who were the heads of the children of Israel. These were their names. Of the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur. Of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Of the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. Of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. Of the tribe of Joseph, of the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. Of the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. Of the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. Of the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vophsi. Of the tribe of Gad, Gael, the son of Maki. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way by the south and go up into the hill country. See the land, what it is, and the people who dwell therein, whether they are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and what the land is that they will dwell in, whether it is good or bad, and what cities they are that they dwell in, whether in camps or in strongholds, and whether the land is, whether it is fertile or poor, whether there is wood therein or not, be courageous and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob to the entrance of Hamath. They went up by the south and came to Hebron and Ahiman, Shishai and Talmai, the children of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. They came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bore it on a staff between two. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the children of Israel cut down from there. They returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. They went and came to Moses, to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word to them and to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. They told him and said, We came to the land where you sent us. Surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Amalek dwells in the land of the south, the Hittite, the Jebusite, and the Amorite dwell in the hill country. The Canaanite dwells by the sea and along the side of the Jordan. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who went up with him said, We aren't able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had spied out to the children of Israel, saying, 
The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that eats up its inhabitants. And all the people who, who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So we finally got to the spies going into the land. And if you're in Sunday school, you probably had the impression as a child that you know they came out of Egypt and straight away they tried to spy out the land, but it didn't work, and so they had to wander the desert for 40 years. But no, this is Numbers 13, and it's a year and about two months later from when they came out of Egypt. It's taken them a long time to get to this point of sending the spies. And all along, these people have known that God was going to take them to a promised land. So they're finally getting to this moment when it must have seemed pretty exciting to them. So yes, at last we're gonna get the promised land. And so they go and they, they, they pick 12 people, one from each tr tribe, and they send them to spy out the land and they come back. They're gone for 40 days. And uh, 40 is a biblical number, which means symbolizes t a test or testing. And it's definitely a test because when they come back, they bring back a good report, but they put a bad spin on it. They say the land is wonderful, but <laughs> there's giants in the land. There's Nephilim. And um, Nephilim, by the way, is just the Bible word for giants. There's a lot of conspiracy theories going around about the Nephilim, you know, and people think that the Nephilim are demons that have mated with human women and produced these giant offspring. Um, I don't personally buy those theories. You know, the book of Genesis chapter six talks about the Nephilim that were in the land and, and the sons of God went to the daughters of men. And um, that, to me, that's just a big misunderstanding of what it's actually saying. And since I've read Josephus, and he explained that, and, and some other ancient writings explain it, I, I just look at it as Nephilim's just the word that means giants. These were just big people. And even in the world today, we have people who are bigger, people who are smaller. We have, even in Africa, in, um, I remember reading about, uh, you know, was it Stanley, the, the man that went exploring, and he, went, he actually went looking for David Livingston, but he explored more of Africa looking for David Livingston than what David Livingston explored as an explorer. And Stanley, he came across this part of Africa called the Mountains of the Moon. That, well, that was a thing that he was looking for. And that's, of course, part of Uganda today, the Ruwenzori Mountains. And in that area, there were these tribes. There were the, the Watusi tribe who were very tall, and right next to them were the pygmies, very short. Well, these are just natural variations in human type, like in the same with dogs. You can have big dogs like Great Danes and small dogs like Chihuahuas. They're, they're all dogs, but just natural variation. And people, There's natural variation in people too. And in Africa, there were these these, this tall tribe, the Watusi, which now is, I think we call it the Tutsi tribe from Rwanda, and the Pygmies, the tall tribe, short tribe. And I think that that's just what we've got here. We've got the Nephilim, we've just got tall people, giants. And uh, of course the problem is that they came back saying the land is wonderful, but there's giants. <laughs> we look like grasshoppers to them. And uh, Joshua said, we can do it. And Joshua, he obviously was very clear about the fact that, w that they couldn't have gotten out of Egypt on their own. They were dependent on the Lord and the Lord brought them out. That's humility. I've talked about that in the last chapter. But here, 
we've got people that are not looking at the Lord. They recognize how weak they are, but they're not recognizing that they need the Lord and the Lord will, use, will, will work for them. So they're, they're humble in a kind of a way, but it's not proper humility. Proper humility is, is recognizing you need the Lord and calling, you know, trusting yourself to him. But Joshua was like that. He recognizes we can't, he, on our own we can't do it, but we can do it because we've got the Lord. So Joshua is the truly humble one here. And, um, but unfortunately, this bad report from the other 10, 10 out of these 12 spies gave a bad report. They grumbled and complained. And they basically um, took the eyes of everybody in the whole entire camp off the Lord. And when that happens, there's problems. And we're not going to go into it now because the next chapter we're going to, is what's going to cover that. But as Christians, we're supposed to have our eyes on the Lord. Now, Joshua and Caleb and Moses, these three, they had their eyes on the Lord. And um, Joshua said, we can do it. And because he had placed his faith in Christ and he knew what was possible with God. And in our own lives, we all, we all struggle with the struggle here at different times and different places in different ways. You can't say that you don't. We all do. We're all human. We don't all keep our eyes on the Lord all the time. And so we tend to look at our surroundings. And in the New Testament, there's a story like this of Peter that, that was, you know, Jesus was walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, tell me to walk, to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter hops out of the boat and starts walking on the water, but he takes his eyes off the Lord, <laughs> starts looking at the problems. Oh no. And they very quickly overwhelm him and he sinks. Well, that's us, except most of us don't even get out of the boat to start with. We have our problems all around us. We're so consumed by them, we don't even put our eyes on the Lord in the first place. That's what these people did. But I assure you that there are a great deal, many problems in our lives that would be much more quickly resolved if our eyes were on the Lord. So that's an encouragement to you. Father, help us. We want our eyes to be on you. We want to, to trust you. We want to walk with you in an attitude of dependence and humility. Lord, in our lives right now, there are problems. We bring them to you. And we know that these problems are not bigger than you. They might be bigger than us, but they're not bigger than you. And so, Lord, we can overcome these problems with your help. So help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.